0: Because I got high. Because I got high. (laughs) I have perfect pitch, mom. (laughs) You get that from me. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones.
1: Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips,
0: the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna.
1: We're on the road today. We're,
0: we're not, <laughs> but <laughs> the microphones are. If we sound a little different, it's because we're recording in Mom's house, where usually we're recording in my house. Uh-huh. We're having a bit of a girls' night tonight, and I just didn't want to like go back and forth. So I was like, "We'll just record at your house." Yeah,
1: yeah. So we have a little bit more echo in here, I think. Maybe they won't even be able to tell that. Maybe. Maybe we'll just sound more mature. No, I don't think that's (laughs) true.
0: Speak for yourself.
1: I can't get much more mature. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go right over the edge if I get too much more mature. So yeah, pull it back.
0: And sorry about last week, about no episode last week. I just needed some self-care. I just needed a weekend where I didn't edit.
1: It was Easter. It was Easter weekend. We were celebrating Easter. And not doing anything not doing at all anything. because that was we're how we were, we're still
0: quarantined yeah. and uh, I stayed home and played video games all weekend. Mm-hmm. That's all I did.
1: That's good self care.
0: That's good. That for me, that is the best self care. Mm-hmm.
1: I have several clients who say that that's their self care.
0: So, we have a new pod chaser review.
1: <gasps> I don't know what that means, but it sounds good.
0: <laughs> the 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 site that is currently doing the raising oh raising money, money for, for the covid, COVID stuff mm-hmm. okay so they gave us a review and then i replied to the review which means it's either, i think it's 25 cents or 30 cents or something that they're um so we have we have donated half a dollar to covid
1: it's better than nothing
0: so do you want to hear the review uh,
1: yes it's i don't good. i don't think you would have told me if it was no so i was about to <laughs> you know, it. I'd be crying <laughs> okay i'm ready
0: it is a five-star review <gasps> And it's from Mrs. K.O. Mrs. Knockout. Madam Knockout. And it says, love listening to this funny, sweet, touching, authentic, and informative podcast. It is one not to miss. They make learning about your brain, behavior, and everything psychology fun. Aww. That was from about a week ago, so sorry extra that we didn't have an episode, but...
1: So can they still do that or is it too late? Are no, they I still think it's doing still going that? on. Can you explain it one more time?
0: Yeah, if you just go to podchaser.com and you search Freudian Sips, find our podcast page and then leave us a review on there. And if you leave us a review, it'll donate $25, 25 cents. Tw- <laughs> I wish it was $25. dollars be great. 25 cents to COVID. Uh, and if we replied to it, which I do try to check it quite often and reply to things, then they will double that donation so Mm -hmm. it'll be 50 cents if you donate Mm -hmm. if you review us and we review back
1: so it just takes a few seconds and it does a little bit of good yes and we should all try to do a little bit of good once in a while yes yeah you're doing
0: good for us you're doing good for the world you're doing good for the whole world the whole world right now yes the whole world is shut down so you are kind of doing good for that
1: we need to do everything we can to try to help so any other pre-roll baby
0: i don't think so okay should we just jump right in
1: yeah let's do it what episode are we on anyway (laughs) Fifty-seven.
0: Feels like 5,000.
1: Fifty-seven.
0: Yeah, I think.
1: Okay. And what are we talking about today, Anna?
0: Well, we're talking about sensation-seeking or Mm -hmm. adrenaline junkiness or… Risk-taking. Risk-taking. So as you're
1: listening, you can think about if you believe that you are one of those. (laughs) If you would identify with one of those. I
0: think (laughs) they're… (laughs) how do you identify
1: (laughs) do you identify as a risk taker
0: i think there are people especially like adrenaline junkies is kind of a badge of honor that Mm -hmm. people are like i'm a total Mm -hmm. adrenaline junkie so i think that is something that people know if they are
1: do you think of yourself as a adrenaline junkie no
0: (laughs) i just told you my self-care is video (laughs) games so no not really i kind of
1: as i read about it the especially when under the title of sensation seekers yeah. I was like, I want to be that. That sounds like something I want to be. Yeah, it
0: definitely breaks it into some parts that are a little more relatable. And mm-hmm. some of the things it describes, I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds like me. But overall, right. not really. Yeah. So, OK, so let's get into this first of all by explaining some stuff about adrenaline. Yes. Can I do some brain you stuff? You do
1: the brain stuff, yes. All right. I love when you do brain stuff.
0: So adrenaline is a hormone. It is also called epinephrine. We've talked about it before when we talk about, like, fight or flight and trauma and everything, but let me just give a rundown of it. <laughs> At this point, it's just a game to see if I'm going to explain it the same way I've explained it before. <laughs> you guys can email us if I don't. <laughs> if there's Listen discrepancies. Listen various,
1: various episodes and yeah. see.
0: Compare, contrast. Yes. So, as with everything, adrenaline begins in the brain. First, a dangerous or stressful situation happens, and Mm -hmm. this sends a signal to the amygdala. Amygdala, my favorite part of the brain. Is it? What is it? Explain the amygdala. Amygdala
1: is the thing that, like, says, oh, no, I'm going to get eaten by a bear.
0: (laughs) Yep, that's the only (laughs) dangerous situation that there is.
1: There's a bear that's going to eat me, and so it tells the rest of my brain what to do. And it freezes up my body and does all kinds of crazy things to me. How's that? That is very for a good. For totally bad definition. No, no it's very good.
0: Uh, the amygdala is responsible for memory. It's responsible for decision making. And it's responsible for emotional responses. It's and connected
1: to every... It's, it's a big boss man.
0: It's a big boss man brain part. The amygdala processes the signal. And if it decides, yeah, oh, this is a threat. You're right. Eaten by a bear? That's bad. <laughs> that's a threat. Then it sends a signal to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is like a command center and it links the nervous system to the endocrine system. And in the endocrine system is the adrenal medulla, which should sound a little bit familiar because uh-huh. it sounds That's like it d- adrenaline.
1: Adrenal, yes. yes.
0: So adrenaline is shot into the bloodstream. Shh, like that. Yeah, like that, exactly. It's what it sounds like. When you're about to get eaten by a bear, you hear shh, Yeah. And then you can run real fast. <laughs> run away from
1: the bear. I'm going to get you, you a little white lab coat. So I can with wear little it charts I and pointers so that while you do this, you remind me of that little Dexter guy with the labo- <laughs> laboratory or Next whatever. Dexter's Going to my
0: laboratory. Let you fromage. Deve, get out my laboratory.
1: You are totally Dexter. And not the guy who's like all killer? popular yeah. lately. <laughs> Not the murderer.
0: No, just the, other the little, one. the very
1: short little cartoon, cartoon character. One. Yeah. Okay. Okay, back to the adrenaline. So
0: what happens when it goes into our bloodstream? Pssh. What does it do? Yeah, besides making that noise every time.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> makes your heart beat faster. It makes cortisol happen. It, cortisol, which is what? It's a stress hormone. Yeah,
0: good job. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I've been listening to Dexter on you. <laughs> I've
0: been listening to Freudian Simpson a bunch. <laughs> So, yes, there's a lot of things that adrenaline does to us. So one of the things is it gives us an energy boost. This is going to be confusing. Bear with me. It binds to receptors on liver cells to break down large uh, sugar molecules called glycogen. Mm. And it breaks those into smaller, more usable sugars called glucose. Okay. So the more glucose we have, the more energy Hmm. the body can get. It, It takes it from glucose. So if our body's making glucose faster, like it's breaking down those sugars faster, we have more energy available. Hmm. It also binds to receptors on lung muscle cells, which makes our breathing speed up. Yeah. It makes our heartbeat faster. I know you're the foley (laughs) artist over there. (laughs) It makes our heartbeat faster, it makes our blood vessels direct blood to the major muscle groups, which is prioritizing muscle movement over like brain function.
1: Right. So we can run away from the
0: bear. Run away faster. Do you are you supposed to run from bears? I thought you're supposed to get big, like act like you're gonna. Ah, yeah. Be bigger than the bear.
1: I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> Five foot tall. I just get out my not. step stool, and <laughs> <laughs> I would probably not outrun him either. So I'm just screwed. If a bear's and they eat can eat climb me, trees, and stuff, yeah, so like. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm probably just going to be lunch, no matter how much adrenaline I got going. <laughs> it's
0: going to be a very sugary lunch.
1: <laughs> glucose. Mm, love that glucose. Mm,
0: glucose. Uh, Muscle cells underneath the skin start contracting, which makes you sweat. And it's called a rush because this all happens very fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, as we're describing this, it happens like a process, like oh, a signal gets sent to the brain and then the amygdala. But no, it's just this is instantaneous, and adrenaline happens in a rush to the body. Mm -hmm. So this is an automatic process. We have no control over it. We can't go. I need adrenaline right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be cool, though, wouldn't it? (laughs) What a great superpower! superpower, Yeah. yeah. I like when we do that. <laughs> I like when we talk at the same time, Anna.
0: <laughs> Makes us sound like we it's both like know what we're talking about. We're in about. stereo. Ooh. If you listen to us in surround sound, it's like you're here with us in the room. They're everywhere. <laughs> Please stop. Oh, God, stop this, is what you'll say if they, you yeah, listen to us in surround sound. Yeah,
1: they like for prisoners when they're trying to get them to talk, you know. <laughs> we're going to make you listen to Bonnie and we Anna. you are against
0: the Geneva Convention. <laughs> Okay. Uh, It gives us the ability to preserve ourselves without thinking about it, like dodging out of a car or fighting a threat. At first I read that and I thought it said fighting a bear. And I was like, (laughs) I wrote that in my notes. It says fighting a threat. That would have been great, though, if I had. There's so many cats in this house. Hi. (laughs) Don't judge me. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) We're usually when we're at my... I mean, there's cats in my house too, but... I'm a single cat woman. Yours, <laughs> yours are just around. We usually close the door so they can't come up when That's we're recording true. in my house. That's true. Hi. Oh, gosh. Okay. So other effects of the adrenaline rush include heightened senses, decreased ability to feel pain, increased strength and performance, dilated pupils, and feeling like jittery or nervous, especially after the stress or danger has passed. And especially, I mean, like, adrenaline plays a part in... There's just cats all over. There's just cats. They don't know that. Everywhere. Nobody's going to know They're that gonna except They're going to crinkly when your cat's sitting on your papers. <laughs> that adrenaline plays a part in, like, anxiety as well. The anxiety response is basically our fight or flight response activating when there's not really a, like, a physical or life-threatening danger. It's mm-hmm. basically our stress response saying, oh, God, I'm in danger when I'm not in physical danger right so adrenaline plays a part in that which is kind of where that jittery or nervous feeling comes and the effect of an adrenaline rush can last for up to an hour after the danger is gone so it's Mm. not like this is a quick thing i mean once that adrenaline's in your blood system it has to like work itself out right So what causes this adrenaline rush to happen? There's unintentional things like loud noises, uh, bright lights, high temperatures, basically anything the body can interpret as a danger marker, especially at night. The surge of adrenaline can happen pretty easily at night like before bed and things like watching TV using cell phones or computers or listening to loud music before bedtime makes that happen more often. So people who have that anxiety where they're laying in bed and they like can't stop their brains from going that's Mm -hmm. a bit of an adrenaline rush. Right. And also intentional things like watching horror movies, going skydiving, clip jumping, bungee jumping. <laughs> Roller uh, coasters. Cage diving with sharks was listed, which seems oh. like an extreme example. Hmm. Ziplining, which I have done and I have enjoyed. Did um, you have adrenaline? I, I guess. I didn't feel these symptoms. I was yeah. sweaty, but it was hot. <laughs> and I'm always sweaty. <laughs> I'm a sweaty girl. You get that from me. I think sorry. <laughs> I mean, it was fu- I like. I guess it was kind of a rush, but I wasn't like... I didn't feel like I was in danger.
1: I know that even as a kid, and probably as an adult, too, that I have been on roller coaster rides.
0: Oh, yeah, roller coasters are a good example. you you
1: really, I mean, you know, you could say to yourself, I know this is safe. Right, but your body's like, Yeah, but your body's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Are those rides that, like, drop?
0: Those really, that's what I, as soon as you said that, I had the, those rides that make your stomach, like, go into your throat. Right, (laughs)
1: right. Or I I remember too when I was younger having those experiences like in haunted houses. Yeah. Where you know it's just pretend because you went in in there. Yeah. But yet that adrenaline, that fear just like, ugh, you know. Well,
0: I saw this thing online one time that's like, our brains are still running on, like, human Mm 1.0. Like, it hasn't had a firmware updated in 10,000 years. (laughs) So so our brains, our bodies, still respond to pretty normal threats as Mm -hmm. Mm life-threatening. And that's why anxiety is a thing. That we just, our monkey brains can't differentiate between something (laughs) that's actually going to kill us. So let's talk about people who seek these adrenaline rushes intentionally, maybe even to the point of like giving harm to themselves. Right.
1: I, I was thinking from what you just said a minute ago about we, we might get in this place where we think, yeah, these people who are seeking this kind of risk taking or the adrenaline rush. It's a it's a relatively new thing, you know, as technology has built and and we've figured out all these extreme sports and all that. Yeah. But if you look back in history, people have been doing it forever. I mean, if you look all, you know, look back to the ancient Romans well, and, I the, mean, gladiators the, and Games, the gladiators and the gladiators, yeah. So it's kind of I believe that it's it's part of our nature. To want to have thrills, to want to have excitement.
0: Well, especially like new experiences. I mean, to Mm -hmm. some extent, even people who very much love routine want something new every once in a while.
1: Right, right. I read something in all of this about Freud.
0: Oh, what did Freud say?
1: Freud was talking about people who take unnecessary risks to get thrilled and he tied it to the id of course sure and he said that
0: what's the id for people who haven't listened to our Freud episode
1: the id is that part of our self that is our primal self that goes after pleasure and pleasure principle yeah anything that's sex food rock Rock and roll roll. (laughs) (laughs) yes twice in one I know so your id goes after all of those (laughs) I like how you replace
0: drugs with food though (laughs) it shows where your priorities are
1: Yeah, if you need drugs, okay, but food is way better, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Whatever gives you pleasure sure, and uh, perhaps might not be the always the best for you. But Freud would say that that id is always struggling to get out and to reach for pleasure, even to the point. But there was a part of his writing where he said that the id, though the id wants all that pleasure, that it actually also desires death. That's what Freud said. Okay. But this article that I was reading talked about how researchers have shown that people who are risk takers, generally speaking, mostly, do not in any way desire death. They don't really want to die. They actually want to live to the fullest. Right. They want to, like, squeeze every ounce of excitement out of life. Right. So so death is not – it's not that they have any kind of death wish which is something that some of us who are not risk takers look at those people and we're like, do they have a death wish? Right. They, they, they must subconsciously really want to die. But no, no, they generally speaking, I mean, there might be I a few think, out there. Well, but, No, I was
0: going to say, I do think there's some people that maybe not a death wish, but they might be more comfortable with the idea of death than some people. They're not
1: afraid of it. I
0: mean, if you're jumping out of a plane, even if you know you have a parachute, you have to logically face the idea that, That might go wrong.
1: But I think that's the point, that for a lot of risk takers, they don't logically face it, which is something that that I also read about.
0: Okay.
1: That when they studied the brains, and it's in my notes somewhere, but I don't want to shift through my papers and make you go, why are you looking through your papers?
0: I (laughs) I never ask why you're doing it. I just make fun of you doing
1: it. You just make fun of me, yeah. That they studied young men- I think it was like eighteen to twenty, so like right in that real risk-taking age. And they actually found that those who took more risks had more white matter in their brain, that transmitter matter. You're the brain person, not not as As much thinky,
0: not as much thinky part.
1: But they were, yeah, and they actually were very intelligent young men. Sure, but they didn't like weigh everything out, so they didn't sit and think about hmm. Could this kill me? So 18 this to 20-year-olds, your frontal lobe do. Is, not, <laughs> no, is not developed
0: No, but they had fully. actually
1: separated that age group into two groups. One were risk-takers and oh. one were not. So even within that age group, there were some that were not considered risk-takers, but they were half and half, I guess. Anyway, the point is that those risk-takers don't weigh out the consequences very often. Right. They're much more jump onto their impulse. So maybe some of those people who jump out of planes just really just are in denial that they could die from it. They haven't really weighed that out. That
0: seems like a pretty heavy denial, but maybe, sure.
1: I'm young. I'm strong.
0: Yeah, like this invincibility thing.
1: Yeah. It's like those young adults that we saw on YouTube or wherever during the beginning of the COVID thing when they were all on the beach saying, I won't get oh, sick. Sure. I don't care. Yeah. Nothing's going to kill me. Right. Okay. Sorry. So do I got th- off track.
0: Do you think you're a risk taker? You already asked me if I think I'm one. I, d-
1: I don't think I am. I would like to be. Like, when I was reading it, I was like, because I'm like you, the, especially the part about always wanting new experiences, because I do think of myself as that, that I always want to learn new things and experience. And some of the questions on the test, I said yes to that would lead me to be a risk taker. There is a test, we should mm-hmm. say. We'll talk about that.
0: There's a there's a comic that I found online. And I, like, went through my, my pictures to try to find it. It's by Kathy Thorne. It's a really simple little comic. But it's this woman standing there and she says, I love routine. And then the next speech Bubble says, until I'm bored and then I love excitement. <laughs> and then the ne- next speech Bubble says, until I'm overwhelmed and then I love routine.
1: That's exactly who I am. That's me. Yeah. yeah okay. we like that way. Yeah.
0: So, like, and yeah, if there's just not enough stimulation. Right.
1: Because I do get bored. And when we talk about, when we get to that point, to talk about the experiment by Zuckerman.
0: Let's go into that. Should we do that? Marvin Zuckerman is a psychologist who defined sensation-seeking behavior. He did a lot of tests about it. He defined it as the pursuit of novel and intense experiences without regard for physical, social, legal, or financial risk.
1: Mm-hmm. So his his jump into that area was actually a study that was funded by the Canadian government.
0: Yeah, what? Okay, so in your reading, mm-hmm. what did they say the study was for?
1: Um, it was shortly after the Korean War, and they were trying to study like brainwashing techniques okay. and sensory deprivation. Yeah. So that's how it started. So, they were trying to study sensory deprivation.
0: And that was what the main test was about. It was right. in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and one source I saw said mind control, which I guess is a weird well, way it's to kind say kind of brainwashing. brainwashing, it's
1: another, yeah.
0: But it was, yes, it was around sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see how people reacted to the loss of sensation. Right. And they would sit these people in dark, sound dampened rooms with nothing to do. Which... And pretty predictably, people reacted way differently mm-hmm. to that. Okay, so what? Okay, so someone sits you in a dark room.
1: Even hearing that makes me uncomfortable. Really? When I think about sitting in a dark room, just sitting there for like hours, I, I get like stressed. I feel panicky. It's kind of I do like... that
0: when I sleep. I mean... <laughs> I sit in a dark room for hours, and I stare at the ceiling. Yeah, I guess so. I think, okay, would I get... What? Marvin. Marvin. I don't think he's alive anymore. But, Marvin, would I get in trouble if you hired me for this test, and you put me in this room, and five and went minutes later sleep? you heard...
1: <laughs> no. That's a good question. I wonder if some of them just went to sleep. I mean... <laughs> I probably, I might too, but except that I would feel like I was being watched, and yeah. I don't know that I could sleep when I felt like someone was watching I've slept me. in
0: weirder places.
1: <laughs> Is she asleep again? She's asleep again. Go in there and poke her with the stick again. <laughs> Maybe they put a little shocker in the seat <laughs> they, or something. They put one of
0: those, I'm just picturing one of those, like, symbol monkeys <laughs> that they can remotely activate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... So obviously, some people could handle this. It said some people would sit for hours and hours. Which, I mean, I would probably like do something to entertain myself. Like I would probably like talk to myself out loud. Actually, so I'd
1: start singing.
0: Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Sing, so singing. then you would
1: be considered one of the people who fidgeted.
0: I guess because yeah. that was
1: one of the one of the. Yeah, it said some they... people
0: became fidgety or bored or anxious, but that's kind of a duh. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Hours and hours. hours? Yeah. Yeah. But the results of this led Zuckerman and his company, Mm -hmm. his his colleagues, to hypothesize that some people were high sensation seekers and some were not. Some were low sensation seekers. Right. Uh, So this again seems kind of (laughs) duh. But Zuckerman used this to come up with his sensation seeking scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first of which was in 1964, but it's gone through a few iterations and the most recent. I think 1978, there were a couple different, everything is different. There's a lot of different numbers in this, but there always freaking is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Anna has no emotion about that at (laughs) all. (laughs) And she's fidgety right now. I'm anxious. She must be high
0: sensation. <laughs> In 1992, there was the Arnett inventory of sensation-seeking. But let's just focus. And at some point, there was the brief sensation-seeking scale. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been a few different ones. Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about the sensation-seeking scale, the original and the revised one that Zucker. Good. i i'm gonna say zuckerberg, zuckerberg some I, I even
1: wrote it down at one point I'm i was gonna, like i don't think that's right
0: i'm not talking about facebook man
1: i and it, when i first saw the name i went i wonder if he's related to the facebook guy and then i realized it was different i was like darn dang it because that would have been a good story
0: Let's his great grandpa that. yeah <laughs> and, and mark was
1: like i can use this on the internet. <laughs> Wait, could I say one other thing about that? About,
0: you can say as many you, things as you want, Bob. Really? <laughs> 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 oh, oh. Oh,
1: I not care. Part of the article that I was reading said you would think that as, as word got out about this study, because it was basically volunteers who would come in and do this study, which kind of skews your – that, you know, it's not – what's the word? What am I looking for? It's not – uh, objective. Objective like enough. Double blind. Yeah.
0: Well, and we so talked we, a little bit about that in the episode about Stanford. which mm-hmm. um, which is 15? What is that? Something. But, like, where the people that volunteered for that, I mean, that brings about the question of, okay, the people that volunteer for this study have to be the type of people who would volunteer for a study. Right, right. Which automatically kind of brings about, and especially if it's, and I never know how much, like, did it say what they... It said that, that what
1: happened was that uh, word got out. Like they would volunteer oh. and it was ongoing. Yes. And so you would think, the researchers thought, that high sensation seeking people would hear, they're going to put you in a room for hours and you got to sit in darkness. And high sensation people would be like, well, crap, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's no, I don't want to do that. But yeah. actually, the opposite happened. They had all these really high uh, sensation seekers yeah. because. That doesn't surprise me. Some of the people said that when they were in that situation, situation they started to hallucinate and so the researchers believe that those high sensation seekers were coming in because they thought they might be able to hallucinate
0: that's um the reason that there's like bloody mary oh like those kind of those kind of games and stuff Mm -hmm. because if you stand in a dark room and look in a mirror you start to hallucinate things right with your own face and so people have made all these like dark room mirror games because of that because your phenomenon. brain actually your
1: brain goes into that place yeah. when you're in that well that's that a, kind of deprivation. Well, that,
0: that plays to the idea of i mean there's obviously a spectrum uh-huh. but brains need stimulation uh-huh. i mean there's there's been like the the genie is that what the, the the girl who was raised not raised she wasn't raised she was like left in a crib for oh. like the first 10 years yeah, of her I life i think it was genie yeah, I'm pretty there's sure a, that's there's right. There's a documentary about it. We the should do an episode on that, want. too. Yeah, we should yeah.
1: write that down. Okay. Okay.
0: Um. <laughs> but, but like, she grew up with no stimulation. Without stimulation, yeah. And, and so it was very much like her brain had not developed because it wasn't getting stimulation and it needed to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's people who need more of that or desire more of it. Is it a need or want? I guess that's a whole nother conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can I tell you about the sensation-seeking Scale?
1: Yes, please do.
0: Okay. It is a 40-item forced choice test. So it's either A or B. Mm-hmm. And it's got four subscales within it. So the four subscales are thrill and adventure-seeking... Which is the desire to engage in sports or activities involving speed and danger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is disinhibition, which is like social and sexual disinhibition. The third one is experience seeking, so desire for experience through the mind and senses, like travel or a non-conforming lifestyle. Uh, and then boredom susceptibility, which is aversion to repetition and routine and people who are who are dull, which seems mean to me. <laughs> that's very judgy and i got so far into this research like i was halfway through the test before i realized that we've talked about this before really i think so this particular test so there's a question on the test so the test has questions like it has like a or b and you pick which one matches you basically like the first one is a i like wild uninhibited parties or b i prefer quiet parties with good conversation now, first of all, forced choice tests are hard because there's several that both fit
1: me. Either
0: both fit or neither fit. Right. Yeah,
1: you're in that place. Well, yeah. the,
0: Okay, so the one that, oh, like there's a scuba diving one that, that says, like, I prefer the surface of the water to the depths or I would like to go scuba diving. Both of those are true for me. I wouldn't mind going scuba diving, but I prefer to be on top of the water because <laughs> there's a lot of scary things under there. So... <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely like some ones where both of them work. Oh, I wish it would stop asking about the essence of good art. Did you see, did you take the test first of all? I don't think I took that
1: one. I took a shorter one.
0: This is the, it has 40 questions on yeah. it. Uh, it says the essence of good art is in its clarity, symmetry, of form and harmony of colors, or I often find beauty in the clashing colors and irregular forms of modern paintings. Those are both true of me. And I don't believe there is such there's a thing such as a thing objective as, good art. Right, right but
1: where is the one but you know the a b thing isn't that the way a lot of those um myers briggs the internet kind not the official but i think so you know they often have those just forced choice and that those are hard to do those are hard to take okay this
0: one a i dislike swingers people who are uninhibited and free about (laughs) sex or b i enjoy the company of real swingers so there's no in-between. Either no between. you are a swinger or you are I hate. Either I'm having them. crazy deja vu we have talked about this before. Do you remember talking about this? The swingers thing? Yeah, because we were like riffing on like you can not mind swingers <laughs> but not want to be around them. I'm going crazy.
1: No, we did talk about swingers at some point. When did we
0: talk about swingers? <laughs> People. T- tweet us. Please, please. <laughs> Hey, someone impro- who's listened to our episodes more than we have, please tell us when we talked about swingers. This is driving Maybe me insane. Maybe we talked about
1: swingers when we weren't doing an episode. Maybe we were that just having lunch true. and like, hey, Anna, how do you feel about swingers? <laughs> do
0: you prefer the company of swingers or do you dislike them? Those are the only two options.
1: You got to make a choice right now because I'm about to introduce you to somebody. It's, yeah. If
0: you- <laughs> So this is kind of a hard test to find. I took it on the Washington State University page. It's it's on there. Oh. But but you like, it's, it's called the Sensation se- Seeking Scale Form V5. And yeah, it has the 40 questions and then you score it. So I got 18 out of 40. And hmm. then it even tells you like the scoring for the subscales, but I was too lazy to do that. So I don't know what my subscale like scores are. But you can do that if you are interested in seeing how you score in those four subscales that I talked about.
1: Does it say that 18 is, does it mean you are one? Are you one? It, well, it
0: doesn't, <laughs> am I one?
1: Are you one of those It doesn't people? say like,
0: oh, you have to get over this to, yeah. it doesn't have like a scoring metric.
1: <laughs> the one that I took was a, was a shorter, like a more, you know, little thing on the internet that you take right. that's like probably not as official or whatever. But it said that I was not. I was not a. What did
0: you get? Uh, where was your score? I'm sorry, I don't know what it was. It's okay.
1: I but I, I know that I was I was like three points away from. I mean, 18 being out of 40
0: there. is like half and half.
1: Yeah, which makes sense because that's one of the things that you read over and over again is that this like. So many things that we talk about in psychology, this is more like a continuum than a yes or no, or or a spectrum if you'd prefer to call it that. So just you might be a person like we just talked about before. I do believe that I'm a person who seeks new experiences as far as like education and travel. But by the same token, I don't want to be thrown into a position where I don't know anything about what's going on and suddenly I'm in this foreign country and I don't know their language and blah, 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 blah. Right. So there's a limit. To how much I want to experience, you know.
0: Oh, this question's good. A, I like to date members of the opposite sex who are physically exciting. Or B, I like to date members of the opposite sex who share my values. You can't have both, according to this (laughs) test. (laughs) But also, if you like to date the same sex, then you're you're out of luck.
1: (laughs) How old is that test?
0: Well, this is number five. So I think this is from 70s, late 70s, I guess. But how long
1: was it in the DSM that...
0: That's true. Being well, and also, it's there is a question about like homosexuals. Oh yeah, homosexuals. A, A, I would like to meet some persons who are homosexual, or B, I stay away from anyone I suspect of being gay or lesbian. Wow, I would like to meet a homosexual. Homosexual. (laughs) Look how risky I am. So that's one of my eighteen that I would like to meet a homosexual, as if I've never met one before. that
1: is an odd test i gotta I tell, I, tell you i
0: think i've met more homosexuals than <laughs> i've met straight people at this point oh my goodness so that's kind of all i have about that specifically i have a lot of like kind of random facts about sensation seeking do you have that's more good because i have nothing so you're on because well, you just you
1: just basically did that's that's I'm what so i got sorry it's okay it's all right let's go well, let's go let's I, go with it
0: i read that like it it's a personality trait. And there was one thing I said that, well, it said, you know, if it's a personality trait, it's 50% hereditary. That,
1: well, That's a good argument for nature versus nurture. Yeah. Because if, if you grew up with parents who are like, let's go on a road trip and go parachuting. Sure. You know, you're more likely to be willing to do that, I would think. Or maybe the opposite. You got the crap scared out of you so many times that you're
0: <laughs> <laughs> on a roller coaster when you're three and like, I don't want to do this anymore.
1: Do you think it's hereditary?
0: I mean, I think that is a nature versus nurture thing that like that goes back to how dangerous do you think something is? Right. Because if you grow up in a family where you're taught like to respect the danger of things, but also it's okay to go scuba diving. Right. Sure. You're not going to think it's as scary as someone who's never seen the water.
1: But I guess you could go back to to the research and the beliefs about how much of the way our brains are made is is hereditary. You know, like if mental illness is hereditary. Right. Because if you look at like just for example, um, when you were talking about the thrill and adventure seekers, those people, that component, like those people have lower levels of what norepinephrine, norepinephrine, norepinephrine? Say that word for me.
0: Norepinephrine.
1: Thank you. <laughs> you
0: did Was I say, I say, it, say it Yeah, you said it
1: fine. <laughs> so people. Well, wait, that's different than epinephrine, right? That's, that's my question. Because you brought up epinephrine. Well, that's another word for adrenaline. Norepinephrine.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll look it up and you try to say it. (laughs) Okay, and
1: I will say that, like, in their studies, they showed that those people who were thrill and adventure seekers, they have lower levels of that. Like, naturally, in their bodies, in their brains, whatever. It's also called
0: noradrenaline. (laughs) Okay. It says the actions of norepinephrine are vital to the fight-or-flight response. So it's either the same thing or it's closely tied to it. So basically, the
1: reason I'm saying this now is because it kind of goes back to what you said about, is it possible that's inherited? If your brain is a certain way because of your heredity, these people's brains, at least the researchers have shown that those people who are more likely to be seeking thrill and adventures, naturally they produce less cortisol Mm -hmm. uh, because of stress and they have lower levels of norepinephrine. So they, it's it's kind of like they're muted, you know, like their sensations are muted. So they got to ramp it up to feel it. Right. Which makes sense, you know, that our brains – we say that all the time in counseling. Our brains all work differently. So your brain
0: is just wired this way or your brain does it this way. I, I worked with someone who had pretty severe depression who was a thrill seeker. A, 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 I would call him an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how those two things probably – have something to do with each other that like my theory was okay you're going on these things that are giving you this shot of adrenaline but one of the things in the adrenaline rush is endorphins right which is part of the why we can't feel pain when there's an adrenaline rush because endorphins fight pain it's like a Mm painkiller so you're getting endorphins which make you feel better right and if you're depressed and you're so depressed that your senses are so dulled That an adrenaline rush is the time when you actually feel good and those chemicals are actually working, you're going to seek that out. Right.
1: And one of the hormones would be dopamine. Yeah. That would be released. Oh, let's
0: talk about dopamine. I love
1: dopamine. Let's talk about
0: it. (laughs) So it says high sensation seekers may be overstimulated by novel experiences because their brains release more dopamine during these events than people with low sensation seeking. So it may just be again a wiring thing, right? Where they get more dopamine from these things than low sensation seekers. So low sensation seekers don't need that as much. They, they're just they're running on a nice
1: balance and right. they don't need to pump it up. Right. Right. But I really, uh, I really do think it's a big. Con- I haven't done that noise you for times. I know it's like <laughs> visiting an old friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Maybe oh that's my where God. my great niece gets that noise. Does that? Oh. sound. <laughs>
0: I think she gets that from her. her- her grandpa.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, her grandpa. Okay, Because her grandpa went. does that to her. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Back to this. The idea between the nature and the nurture thing. Mm-hmm. Because I completely agree with that idea that they're just wired differently and their hormones react differently or release differently. I don't know how to say that. They have more or less dopamine, etc. But I also think that a big part of that's just a learned thing. Sure. That they learned somehow that that's... Although you do see some people who like have real mild-mannered parents and then this kid is like crazy, crazy you know, right. jumping off cliffs and stuff. So, so, okay, so
0: this is interesting. Now that I'm reading this over. High sensation seekers, it says their brains release more dopamine.
1: I would almost guess it would be the opposite. I would think so too because they wanted to.
0: That that maybe their dopamine receptors aren't as sensitive so they need to do more, even more extreme things to activate that.
1: They're used to having more just on a normal day, so they got to really pump it up to feel the that's, difference. That's a good point.
0: That that Well, that's that their intensity has to go up because right. they're kind of building up a tolerance mm-hmm. to it.
1: Tolerance, that's a good word.
0: Well, so the tolerance plays into um, something that is in this kind of under this kind of umbrella of sensation seeking is the runner's high. Have you ever... Mm. Mm-hmm. I've never run in my life. I was going to say, so, unless there was a bear that was I know, eat the, me. that bear, that time we were fighting That one bear. time that
1: that bear was going to eat me, I ran. Because <laughs> my amygdala said, you're going to get eaten, my bear, and I ran. And then I got a little bit of adrenaline and said, okay, that's all. Like, never i don't... doing this again.
0: Thanks. <laughs> that's the whole spectrum I've i never, like, there's never been a point in time where I'm like, I should be a runner. I that sounds horrible. There's this bit, I don't know if you've seen this part in Parks and Recreation, but Anne is talking to Chris and they're like having a fight about his like fitness regimen or something. Uh-huh. And he's like, I thought, I thought you loved going on runs with me. And she goes, Oh my God, no. <laughs> She's like, I know it's healthy for you, but God, at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, I can see that. So so yeah, but the runner's high is a is a demonstrable thing. I mean, like there is definitely an adrenaline shot there, right? Where and and this is kind of related to extreme sports too. Even things like fighting that that endorphin thing plays. Where with adrenaline comes this endorphin, that's a, that pain suppressant, and so it also increases your mood. And that's why runners often increase the length and intensity of their runs because of that tolerance building They've up. They've built up, yeah. Yeah, where a, a five-minute run isn't going to give them as anymore. much adrenaline yeah. and as much endorphin. So they have to increase that.
1: Right. I, I also <laughs> have never been a runner, but I can say that I think I have felt that. Adrenaline rush, sparring in martial arts. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And that that whole thing that you're in the moment so much, and you have that adrenaline going that that you can be hit really hard. Well, you told an, me that
0: like your nose got. Oh, like, my busted. nose was always
1: bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I always had my my it was blood always always blood on my dobok, but. And I would often not know and I was a do-bok bleeding. A dobak is
0: for people who do not know what that is.
1: A dobak is a uniform in taekwondo. But you know, you would stop and and you'd be like, you'd have blood all over you. and You're like, <laughs> where'd <laughs> this come from? <laughs> but uh, did you? So in the, in those moments, were you aware of pain? No, and that's what I was gonna say. That I mean, you would feel the shock of it, but you had so much adrenaline going that you didn't feel the pain. To right, that. and I mean that's gotta be what like professional fighters. Oh my god! And you watch them and you think that should kill that person. Right, right. And they just keep going through that, that pain. Life. Yeah,
0: is so that what the, toddlers have when they just like fall like three stories <laughs> and then they're fine? Like rubber?
1: I think that's a guardian age. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Some combination. Uh, I don't, know. Of I don't know what
1: kind of hormone that is, but that's definitely a guardian
0: <laughs> angel. <laughs> High sensation seeking is also associated with a higher vulnerability of substance abuse. Um, mm, that makes sense. And that comes with the territory of risky things like heavy drinking or using illicit drugs seeming to have more benefits than it has risks where one of the benefits is giving them this high that they're looking for and that to them is more important than any like le- like Zuckerman's definition of it. It's more important than like financial or health risk.
1: Right. Right. That kind of goes back to one of the components of Zuckerman's is the disinhibition. Yes. I hate how I stumble on words. I wish I could change that. I think it has to do with getting old. If you stop
0: acknowledging it, I'll just freaking cut it out. But every time you do it, you're like, (laughs) oh, I just stumbled on that word. Oh, no. If you just do what I do and take a minute and then say it correctly, every time I do that, it's because I'm cutting it out. The listeners have no idea that I mess up (laughs) words just as often as you do. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Back to
1: the disinnovation.
0: You took such a long pause. You took such a pause. Oh, no. I'm done. (laughs) No, disinnovation. What is it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it must you. freaking hard now. Okay. (laughs) That word. I don't even remember why I want to talk about it now. (laughs) Okay, with disinhibition, There you go. Um, the idea of, of being um, sexually promiscuous yeah. is, is, that's kind of like a double-edged sword because it's like they don't have the inhibition to hold back. Their it is going crazy. Right. Um, and at the same time, it's that thrill of I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. I might get caught. There's all kinds of stuff. And then you put on top of that just the risk of having unprotected sex. You know all of the things, bad stuff that can happen to you in those situations. So a lot of these kind of behaviors really do have like serious like serious risks. Yeah, Yeah.
0: and that was one of the things as I was reading about behavioral changes that come with being an HSP. Do you remember that term too? HSP. I remember that the high sensation person or oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. We did talk about that when did we when <laughs> someone tweet us i think
1: we were drunk one night My, and <laughs> talking about swing that tracks
0: <laughs> that tracks that sounds like us
1: we weren't actually recording at the time
0: <laughs> no, <we're laughs> just, <kidding. laughs> just get drunk and talk about brains that's why we started a podcast So, but there, it's more likely to choose to not use protection, it's more likely to have multiple partners, and Mm -hmm. it's also, there's a higher instance of being unfaithful to partners, Mm -hmm. comes with high sensation seeking. Mm -hmm.
1: And, And for those of us who are on the other end of that continuum, we tend to have fear of punishment. Right, Whatever that means, whether the punishment is getting a sexually transmitted disease or losing our marriage if we're, you know, thinking about having an affair or getting caught by the law or whatever, if, whether we're talking about sex or which drugs or if whatever. It,
0: okay, so if we're looking at that from a Freudian perspective, which mm-hmm. we should because we're we Freudian should. Sips, Yep, that is something that everyone has, but those people, the high sensation-seeking people, don't have as much of a developed superego right. as they do an id. That's a perfect way to say it.
1: There was one example in one of the articles I read about a person who identified as being low on the continuum, you know? Right. And she said that she was with a friend and they were at dinner. And they're sitting in a booth and there was a little sign in the booth that said, Booths are for three or four customers only. And it was just she and this other person. And she said Oh no. <laughs> she said all during dinner she kept looking at the sign and she had all this. She said, I know that there was this cortisol just coursing through my oh, body no. because I
0: was so afraid that somebody was gonna come over and go, You can't be sitting there. That's only for a booth for three or four people. And superego means basically that, like that that social norms or rules right. are are very like that's that's the part of the concept. Consciousness that controls like what society says is correct, and so that okay, so that's where I'm also kind of I have no idea where I fall on this continuum because I'm pretty chaotic sometimes. Yes, you are. I mean, there's there's definitely times where I'm like I don't care about this rule. I'm gonna do this because that's <laughs> this is more important than that rule. So it's like, but I mean, usually that's not because I'm seeking like an experience or something. No, it's
1: because you don't agree with the rule, or right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like people that go, well, right now during this COVID crisis, everywhere you go, if you go to a grocery store or or a pharmacy, they have these arrows and they have like you have to stand on these lines. And yeah. And as a person, because myself, I am one of those people who am very conscious of those Mm
0: Rules, and so I'm like scared to death. I'm gonna go the wrong way on a frickin' arrow. Now, See, I I just <laughs> went to the store, and there was like, I'll I'll go down there. I'll follow the arrow. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay. Want to be respectful, the yeah. but then I'm like, well, I need to go down that aisle, and I would have to go down the wrong I like the wrong way. <laughs> there's no one in the aisle. I'm just gonna do it. Like, I mean, that's who cares. So there's definitely like i went backwards i know i went backwards beep, down beep, beep. an aisle because i was like i'm not going to go all the way around
1: the next aisle there's nobody in that aisle but i don't want to be so brazen to break the rule and go forward so
0: i'll up. <laughs> <laughs> i'll just walk backwards like i'm i was really here all the time <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me don't mind me i'm trying to follow the rules i'm doing the best i can <laughs> It says things like driving fast, ignoring traffic laws, engaging in behavior more likely to result in accidents and crashes, is associated with high sensation. I'm a fast driver, so that tracks I was going to say the too. driving
1: thing for me too. Like I,
0: yeah,
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But you know, one of the things that really separated me for me was the one of the things that I read that said people who are high on the continuum on the spectrum. One of their like mottos would be analysis is paralysis. Analysis is paralysis. And so. The, the opposite
0: of look before you leap. Exactly.
1: Because they don't look. They just leap. And I am. A, I look before I leap usually. But then I
0: think about there but are But if you're times... in a situation where you. It's okay. Like I do think that goes back to that. Our brains making choices faster than we can consciously make choices. That, right. I think there are situations where our brains are able to say the risk of. If I if I leap before I look, the risk is so low that that's going to be OK. Right. Like, it's not going to make me die. Because
1: there are times, and you and I have talked about this before, that when we want to do something – we just do it. Yeah. You know, it's like somebody else is like, well, let's look at the price versus the blah, well, blah. And, that, and you're like, like ah, just I've, buy it. Just I've, do it. Well, I've
0: used the example of my my husband has been looking for a new car for several years now, off and on. And I, if it were up to me, I would just be like that one. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would just choose and get it over with. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I would look a little bit, but I would be much more quick to jump to that than he would. Right. But again, that's not really a sensation or a rule or anything it's just kind of a personal preference so there's a lot of this conglomeration of like there's very similar brain things but they're not quite the same one of the things that i saw in the behavioral part like behaviors of people who are high sensation seeking i thought this was interesting is they like arousing music like hard rock or they like surrealist art or unpleasant art forms so like the presence of violent or aggressive themes or content Hmm. which that's me. I, like I like kind of upbeat music, and I like surrealist art. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I so that would if that is a high sensation seeking thing. I guess
1: I would say just from what I know about our personalities, I think that you're further up on the scale Probably. than I am. And I don't think I don't think that's just age. Although when I was younger, I was higher. Right. I mean, because I was not as close to death. Oh. <laughs> The closer you get to death, the more you got to start to pull back a little bit.
0: <laughs> Things will kill me quicker.
1: I'm not as resilient as I used to
0: be. I also read that alcohol use is linked to high sensation seeking, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that makes us both. <laughs> uh, especially the disinhibition and experience seeking subscales. Yeah. And also it linked it to peer influences. I thought this was interesting that hmm. peer influences and sensation-seeking, it says, mutually reinforce each other mm-hmm. in their influence, especially on substance use. So research found that peer sensation-seeking levels are predictive of drug use as well. Mm. And individuals are more likely to associate with peers whose sensation-seeking levels are similar to their own, which makes sense. That seems like kind of right. a natural thing to I happen. Just,
1: I literally just saw a client yesterday that talked about how... Like his teachers and parents and stuff were all saying that he was in with the wrong crowd. Yeah. And he said, but these are my people. Yeah. You know? And yeah, he was getting into trouble with those people when he wasn't getting into trouble with the previous peer group. But that kind of goes back to what you just said. Then when he got in with the peer group that were more likely taking those risks and doing those things.
0: Well, it's asking yourself what part of me do I want to reinforce? Mm. And if I spend time around people that are like that, it's going to bring that out in me more. Right. So even if you are a high sensation seeking person, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can get you into trouble and there are bad parts about it. Right. So, I mean, there's there's definitely pros and cons. I did see an interesting thing that has like pros of sensation seekers though okay and like things that you can learn from high sensation seeking people then the basic theory is like okay it's not just that they're seeking high sensations it's that they thrive in these environments and everyone at some point is going to be an environment that's stimulating that's right. highly stimulating right. it's saying that some of the things we can look at in high sensation seeking people are like the ability to go with the flow and achieving like a flow state have you, I've been really feeling that lately. I think it's pressure medication kicking in, but like, <laughs> I just feel, I feel like I'm in a flow state We're we're like, it's described as being like immersed, holding an energized focus and fully involved in what you're doing and enjoying the yep. moment flow state man well,
1: that sounds awesome Whoa.
0: well I think that that
1: would be a wonderful thing to achieve in a time like what we're doing in our society right now with the social distancing and all that and all right. the stress that that causes if you could find that flow state it means that you're finding calm within all this stress around you that's pretty awesome
0: granted I was doing it while I was playing a video game uh. I felt like I was in a flow state <laughs>
1: right in the midst of your self-care
0: yes the next one is feeling awe awed about things. That's ah. so hard ah, ah, ah. Wow. It sounds like I'm making noise. A W E, that word, Aw. ah. ah. <laughs> Can't. Just let it rest. Uh, ah. That that it ah. says basically feeling awe, awe inspired. I'm mean, going to have to keep saying it because it talking about it, is important for your body, and that feeling that sensation is good and that's it's,
1: living life to the fullest
0: basically it's being able to like just
1: be like wow life is awesome yeah it's, well, right. yeah everybody wants to be like that don't we
0: duh yeah and then learning that not liking something isn't the worst thing that can happen because i mean i'm sure there it, it talks about how like you know there are things that people with high sensation seeking drives try that they don't necessarily like, Right. that maybe gives them a high thrill, but it doesn't, it's not like they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But then they learn that that's okay. That's okay. They've tried it and then they can move on. And that if they have this variety in their life, they learn what they like and don't like. And that's an important thing too. And that mm-hmm. goes with our self-awareness thing. Those are good things. Yeah. and So, as we're talking about this, it may seem like we're disparaging at some point because we do talk about right. like the link between alcohol abuse and drug abuse and, and infidelity and that kind of stuff. But, but that's, it's like, I don't know. I guess I can see that as too much of a good thing.
1: Well, I think it comes down to what we always talk about in the self awareness stuff that if you know you're this kind of person, you maybe know that you are prone to having a bit of lack of impulse control because right. that's a big thing with these kind of people and if you're aware of it you're more likely to be able to build coping skills and to be able to control that behavior but then at the same time embrace the idea that you are indeed a person who wants to um, live life to the fullest and I was thinking one of the things that we always say in our family about life experiences is everything that you do you're building your life resume I think we've talked about that on episodes before and the idea is that through your life you want to have this awesome life resume of all these wonderful experiences Right. and and sometimes they aren't great but you tried it and and you learn from it you grew from it yeah
0: you can take good things from bad experiences exactly
1: and so that would be something that a high sensation person would be doing is building right. a very powerful life resume you know a so
0: life curriculum vitae <laughs> <laughs> a life cv <laughs> needs more than one page baby indeed <laughs> what else Gender differences. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about that. We just kind of... Yeah. One study I found showed that gender differences, they did study in America, Australia, Canada, and Spain, and males consistently scored higher than females on uh, the sensation-seeking scale. In America, they scored higher on each subscale, and in the other countries, disinhibition was not a significant difference, but they did score higher on the other three.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. And so did they have conclusions as to why the men were higher? I think, again, we're back to the nature and nurture thing because I think part of that is that we're wired different.
0: That's a good point. But
1: I also think that, generally speaking, men... Boys
0: will be boys. Men have <laughs> to peacock. Men
1: do the peacocking thing. Well, and, they, and
0: women are taught to be more demure.
1: And also women are thinking, I got, I got responsibilities. Yeah. I need to... <laughs> I got to take care of the babies. Right. I mean, it depends on what age group you're oh. talking about and who the people are. Yeah, but it still. also
0: said marital status plays a part with divorced men scoring higher than single or married men.
1: Oh, really? More than single. That that The married part doesn't surprise me, but right. the higher than single surprises me a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. I guess they're at a point where it's like, whatever. Uh, that
0: Well, that's kind of, <laughs> again, it kind of verges into this, like, is it a death wish kind of thing? Yeah. Like, if you're really depressed mm-hmm. or something,
1: but. I was, I'm sorry, is that closure for the yeah. gender thing because i wanted to just throw one other thing in there about the idea of this is kind of a dark direction but i was thinking about the idea of some some of the things i read about they even get into the point where they they want to feel some pain like they mm-hmm. those extreme sports and those kind of things that yeah the, they're the, hell on the, body the pain makes you feel alive yeah. and, and all that and i, I kind of question then where there might be some kind of an overlap in self-harm mm-hmm. and personalities who tend to self-harm and well self
0: self self-injury a lot of people who do that are doing it because of the endorphins that they get from that too right i mean that's a sensation seeking thing as well right so that again it's where that can verge into there's more benefit to them than there is risk and Mm -hmm. obviously there is a lot of physical harm that comes with that so exactly again too much of a good thing and sensation seeking is not a bad thing but if it's going to hurt you or hurt someone else then it's a bad thing
1: right then you have to learn what you need to do to rein that in yeah so exactly i think that's a great way to end it actually to bring it all together i did it we're not saying that that either end of the continuum or the spectrum is the good end
0: no it's kind of like the I, i look at it like introversion versus extroversion that we've talked about exactly that like a lot of people have very strong feelings about like introversion versus extroversion but it's not a versus thing it's right. a you can be anywhere on that continuum and right. it's okay
1: and, and quite frankly many many of us are pretty much in the middle yeah. you know like give or take or you could go both ways <laughs> so to speak You <laughs> so could. To speak. And that it that's okay but it goes back again to self-awareness and and so if if you're curious about yourself and where you would fall on this kind of scale um, take a test take a test and see where you what I was kind of surprised at, and I didn't take the same thing that Anna yeah. did but I was surprised at how low I scored because when <laughs> yeah. I first read it I was like yeah I think I'm I'm a person' real real that I'm not I'm very boring <laughs> But I was like, yeah, I ride a motorcycle. I like I think martial also arts. Also, right I'm now,
0: not- this is one of those things, as with many, I mean, this is a self report test. And we have talked before about how self report tests are not super reliable. Right, right. Um, but that. If I were taking this not during a pandemic, it yeah. would probably be different. That's kind of true I didn't I tried to like I tried to be very aware of that as I was taking the test but also I'm very much in a routine right now and I know I can't go out and do things. Mm. so I'm kind of in a mindset of like just staying in routine right yeah. now yeah so it's I'm sure if I took it a different time I might get at least a couple of different answers.
1: Mm-hmm. So wherever you fall on the continuum, that's okay. That's okay. He's it's okay. okay to be you. Just know about be it. Be you. Know who you are. Embrace yeah. who you are. Decide what yeah. you want to do with your future.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to let her keep talking.
1: <laughs> Get Should to I do. thank
0: the listeners? Please do. All
1: right. Thank you so much for listening to Freudian Sips today. It's always wonderful to have you with us. And we would love to hear from you. So please do. Um, I'm going to let Anna spiel off all the addresses and all that stuff. So thank you for being with us. And please be safe and and um, be healthy. Be with us next time.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on social media, and we encourage you to do so. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on all of those things. Um, please reach out to us. Please follow us on things. Please say hi to us we really like interaction with Mm -hmm. you people you fine lovely people our site is freudiansipspod.com that has all the stuff you can follow us on all our episodes if you want to get a hold of us directly it's freudiansipspod at gmail.com if you want to send us questions or corrections or if you want to tell me what freaking episode (laughs) we already talked about this stuff in please tell me (laughs) it's going to drive me insane It's like a scavenger hunt. It's like a... Find the comments about swingers. The swingers (laughs) question that we talked about. We'll send you a sticker. We'll send you a sticker! (laughs) We are also on Patreon if you want to support the show that way. We're Freudian Sepspot on there. You can pay a few dollars per month and get access to some bonus episodes where we are currently reviewing Murder Yet to Come, a very fun book. Uh, please remember to leave us a nice rating and review wherever you can do that, especially Podchaser right now. They're going to donate to COVID relief causes if you go review on Podchaser. And we will reply and we will do our part. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin MacLeod, and it sounds like this.